Well, as we begin our series, the first question that comes to mind is, is the Ten Commandments. Why are there Ten Commandments? I mean, what, what is it about these that, that God has given us? Well, since the creation um, of Eden in the garden there, man has somehow always rebelled against God and against the rules of the establishment. The, to help free humanity from this desire or our own inclination to sin, God established Ten Commandments for His people to help guide them and, and direct them so that they would not do the things that they ought not do. So He handed down these commandments. They're kind of what we might call moral codes or moral laws for us to live by. The Ten Commandments really aren't something that are hard to follow, right? They're not burdensome. They're not troublesome. But yet, we seem to break them, don't we? We have all had this problem with them. The Old Testament gives us these Ten Commandments in the book of Exodus, chapter 20. But it's just a portion of the laws that are given. Matter of fact, there are 613 laws that are given. They're given to us to kind of teach us the right way from the wrong way. We always know how we should live. God wants us to do that. And so they're kind of like those guideposts that are set out as a direction signs for us to know exactly what we should do and what we shouldn't do running right from wrong. Of these 613 commandments, they're called the mitzvot, and, and, and they're all collected together in the Old Testament. Ten of them are some that were set apart really as these moral codes for us. So these, this mitzvot, there's laws that are governed the ancient Israel and the Hebrew society. The 613 laws consisted of civil rules, that governed the Israelites' day-to-day life. They also were ceremonial rules that governed the worship of God inside the temple, and there were moral rules, such as the Ten Commandments, that concisely summarize all the other Old Testament laws as to how people are to interact with God and with one another. Jesus, when He came into this world, His death and resurrection somehow allow us to overcome a lot of the laws that were established in the Old Testament because they no longer to apply to us based upon our redemption because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. And so some of the laws were based on sacrifices in the temple so that the sins of the people would be rolled back and forgiven for a year. They'll no longer apply to us because of the sacrifice of Jesus being the atoning sacrifice for all of us. And now it's not based upon laws that we find our salvation. It's based upon the grace and the goodness of Christ. The Old Testament laws that did become a part of the New Testament are the ones that we might classify as the moral laws. And Jesus reiterates those in His own ministry, in His life. So this morning I want to give us three reasons why these Ten Commandments are important, why these covenants here that God gave us, and then we're going to examine each of those Ten Commandments just briefly. So the first reason that God gave us the Ten Commandments is this. It's for our personal well-being of His people. So God had already redeemed His people out of, his, out of Egypt. They'd been in slavery for nearly 400 years, and He rose up a man by the name of Moses, and, and Moses went in and led the people out, and now God has brought them out into the wilderness with Him so they could worship Him. And there at the foot of Mount Sinai, God establishes a new covenant, a new relationship with His people that's going to be important for them to understand. And so... As this new nation of people, the people of Israel, they would need some guidelines on how they should live. What is the best way for them to live in this new life, this new relationship that they would have, and so that they would not infringe on each other's personal well-being. 
The problem is that when men usually create their own laws, those laws are created for the benefit of the man who's making them. And that's the way history has always proven itself. But God is not man, and so he's going to give us laws that supersede what we ourselves might come up with. He knew that we needed guidance, so he also knew that everyone needed to be protected from each other, but also give them an opportunity to prosper. And so he sets forth these Ten Commandments for how we should personally live. Many people of the Old Testament teach that, the, that obedience to the law brought them their salvation. But that wasn't always the case. In the New Testament, we're told that we are not saved by obedience to the law, but we're saved by grace. So there appears to be this kind of conflict between the two. And so maybe we don't necessarily have to be obedient to the laws anymore because, after all, God's going to save us by His grace. But we'll discover that in the New Testament, along with grace, we're still expected to live by laws. Jesus has commands as well for us to follow. So when you become a Christian, it doesn't mean that you have no laws anymore. We still have laws. And these Ten Commandments are some that are important for us to live by. And it means that you serve under a new law that is given by God. And we'll talk about that later on. In the Old Testament, keeping the law, it really never brought salvation to the people. They couldn't keep all those laws. We focus here on the Ten Commandments, but we mentioned there were 613. And we know that everybody is going to fall short somewhere in breaking one of these laws. But the law was not given for salvation. That's impossible. The law was given to show us where we missed the mark, to prove to us that, that we have a fallen nature inside us and that we're going to sin. So they were given that way. You find God's grace in the New Testament in Jesus. But not only there, but you can find the grace of God in the Old Testament as well. Example, when, when Adam and Eve in the garden, they were told one law they had, one rule, do not break this rule, it was simply don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you do that, you're going to die. Well, Adam and Eve had to test that law, didn't they? And they broke it. They both ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, but they didn't die immediately. Why not? I mean, wasn't that what God had said? You eat of this tree, surely you're going to die. And there they stood looking at each other, and they were ashamed because of what they had done. But God, because He was going to be gracious to them, He did kill something. He killed an animal, and He took the skin from that animal, and He made clothing for Adam and Eve to cover their shame and their nakedness. The grace of God was evident right there. Later on, you find in the book of Genesis chapter 15, about verse 6, God mentions another man by the name of Abraham. Abraham receives the grace of God in a special way as well. Abraham, God says, Abraham, I want you to go, be obedient to me, go to a place that I'll show you, and I'll turn your family into a great family. So many descendants, it'll be numerous as the stars. And Abraham's saying, well, you know, I'm just about 80 years old, and I don't have any kids yet, but I'll be obedient to God. And so he follows wherever God leads him. And we find this verse 6 in chapter 15, and it says this about Abraham, because he believed that what God had said was true, it says to us, and he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. 
You see, we're saved by the faith and by the grace and the goodness of God. We're saved the same way whether it's in the Old Testament or the New Testament. Every person is saved by grace, which is appropriated through our faith in God and who He is and what He has said. God then gives us the law not to save His people, but to teach them how they should personally live. The second reason that He gives the Ten Commandments is this. God gave the Ten Commandments to serve kind of as a a foundation for the nation of Israel, something to build their nation upon. Now, there are three essentials for every gathering of people, every community, every country, every nation of people that you have to have in order to be a successful community. These three essentials are this. Every nation has to have a common people. Well, the nation of Israel was a common people. They were all descendants of Abraham, and now there were numerous numbers of them, and so they have coming together to form this nation. So they've got to be from a common people. The second thing is you have to have a common land. Well, they've been, they've been slaves in Egypt. They didn't own that land. But God had promised them a land, the land of Canaan, a land that was beautiful, a land that was flowing with milk and honey, and it would be theirs if they would just follow him and go there. And the third thing was a common law or a constitution. Well, when we look at these three things, we understand that the common people, those were the descendants of Abraham. When he left the land of Ur of the Chaldeans and he headed to where God would show him, they created this nation of people. That second part is that common land, which was Canaan. And what a beautiful place it was. Matter of fact, when the 12 spies go in to look at the land as they're preparing to go in and take over, they come back with this wonderful report. I said, you can't believe what is there. It's a land that is beautiful, a land that is flowing with milk and honey. The grapes are enormous, and and, and the places that are built there are wonderful. But there was a problem. The problem was there are giants in that land, and there's no way we're able to take it. So instead of being faithful to God, they went against him, and they did not enter in yet. But they also had to have this common law or this constitution. And we find that beginning in Exodus chapter 20, where they are given these Ten Commandments, and then God begins further to explain to them how they should live. And if you read through the story in Exodus, you notice that it didn't take long for them to develop a plan of their own where they would be united around something. They would select a leader, and they would then establish a new religion that they would have together. And it was during that time when Moses was up on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments, the people were down in the valley at the foot of that mountain wondering, where's he been? He's been gone so long. He's been gone close to 40 days now. Maybe he's left us. Maybe he's died on the mountain. Maybe God has abandoned us. We need to have something that we're going to do. And so the people came to Aaron, Moses' brother, and they asked him, can you do something for us? Because we don't know what happened to the God that brought us out here. Maybe he brought us out here just to die. And so Aaron told the people, you gather together all the gold earrings of your daughters and your wives and the people and bring those rings in and and, and we'll, we'll melt them down and we'll create our own God. And that's what Aaron did. He melted all the gold down and with the graven tools, it says, he formed a golden calf for the people to worship. Now they've got a common focal point here, this golden calf. And so they'll offer up their offerings to it, and they'll offer up their worship and their praise to it. 
But God saw what was going on, and he told Moses, those people down there that you led out of Egypt, they've made for themselves a golden calf, and they're worshiping it. I'm not too happy about it. I want to just kind of do away with them. But Moses interceded on their part, and God relented from destroying them, and Moses went down. But the problem wasn't just about making that golden calf. Now when they were confronted about it, Aaron lied about it. Aaron, matter of fact, Aaron said, we gathered this, this gold together, we threw it in the pot, and it came out a calf. So we, just, we had to worship it. We didn't know what was going on with you. And you see, we begin to create for our own selves these things, then we have to cover it up so that we're not to be blamed. Now, this nation needs to have common people, a common land, and a common constitution or law. And when they chose to make their own, they messed things up. And this world has become a place where there are a majority of people who don't want a reminder of the God who led them out of Egypt or the God who created this world, or the God who has blessed this nation. We've become a nation where we have forsaken all those things. And we don't want a standard of righteousness because it's an indictment against us about our own sinfulness. So what we want to do is we want to create our own rules, or we don't want to have rules at all except for what will benefit us. What is right and relevant for me, those are the things that are important. And if it doesn't suit you, well, that's too bad. You go create your own rules and regulations and what is relevant to you, and you live by those. Just don't infringe upon mine while you're at it, okay? And so when we obliterate the commandments of God and we do away with God himself, then there is no recognition of sin. And so we live in a society like we have today where everything is okay. As long as you want it to be okay. As long as you don't do something that's going to harm me. If there is no sin, then that nullifies the blood of the Lamb of God who was sacrificed on a cross for us for our sins. And so we don't have to have anything to cover our sins because we've chosen that. I think this is one of the most diabolical things that Satan has done within our nation is this. He's done away with the ability to have these moral laws which were to live by, these Ten Commandments. You see, when our nation was first established, there were Ten Commandments that were there as a guiding principle for it that they used. Matter of fact, those Ten Commandments were found in every courtroom in these United States. But not too long ago, they began to remove those, didn't they? Because our generation says we don't need those. We don't want them guiding us. We don't want them leaving us. We don't want because they tell us of a God who we don't want. And so we've removed even the Ten Commandments from our national authority. And so Satan and his darkness begins to cover our land. And so what kind of rules do we have to live by? Well, the only rules that you and I can make up then if we're not going to follow a God-given rules. And so anything goes. I think Satan's being rather successful at this and destroying our nation this way. People are truly calling evil good and good things evil. Can you not see that on your Facebook post today? Do you not read that in the newspapers or watch it on our televisions? Things that at one point were wrong and bad 
and sinful are now being accepted, matter of fact, promoted. This is a freedom that people want. But what they do not know is that it is a total bondage that's going to lead them into eternal doom. We need to live by a code of moral laws that are not our own, but those that have been given by God. The United States was founded on these Ten Commandments, but now it's intentionally trying to get rid of every single suggestion, a reminder, or remembrance of the one true Creator and the laws by which He desires us to live by. Well, finally, the third reason we have these Ten Commandments is this. It's to remind people of their sinfulness. When we, when we can measure ourselves up against them, we recognize, well, I've missed that one. I'm, I'm, uh, but, but hey, one out of nine, ten isn't bad, right? I'm doing pretty good. And what it does is it reminds me that I've missed the mark. I've made a mistake. And God did, when He gave these Ten Commandments to the Israelites, did He actually believe that they were going to keep them all? I mean, that's a question I've asked myself. But then the answer comes right behind it. Well, no, he knew they were going to miss them. He knew that they were going to fail to meet those things, and so he established other laws about their religious responsibilities for forgiveness of sins by setting forth a sacrifice in the system in the temple. He knew they weren't going to obedient, be obedient to them, and so he set forth a plan as well to understand that we would need forgiveness we needed to do something. The book of James tells us that the law is like a mirror that we look into and we see ourselves and we recognize where our failures and our weaknesses are. Listen to what it says in James chapter 1, verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. You see, James wants us to understand we have got to see ourselves for who we truly are, because then that motivates us to make a change. Don't just merely see it, but do something about it. And when we look at the perfect law that has been given to us by God, and we put that into practice in our lives, things begin to improve in our lives. The book of Galatians, Paul, he refutes what the Judaizers are saying. And they're telling the people in the church that you have to do everything right. You have to do all the specific things done in order to be saved. And Paul says, no, you don't. There's this balance between being obedient to the law and to understanding what grace is about. And so he writes to us in Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 23. He says, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law. We were imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. So Paul uses this word guardian here in Galatians, or another word might translate it, tutor. 
And when you understand the ancient Hebrew culture and also the Greek culture of that time when Paul is writing, there was this word that's used for guardian that he uses here in this passage of Scripture. That guardian was a slave of the household. But it was a trusted slave who was put in a position to listen. This is what this guardian was to do. If there was a son within that household, the guardian was to stay with that son everywhere he went. Anytime he left that house, the guardian was to go with him. Because the guardian was his tutor, his instructor, on moral laws and how the boy should live. And so when the boy came in conflict with the decision that he needed to make, he would look to his guardian and his guardian would say, you're supposed to do this. This is what your dad wants you to do. Don't do that. You're going to get in trouble when you go home because I'm going to tell. Right? So he would hold the child to an accountability to make sure that he did things that were right and morally good and upright. That guardian stayed with that young man throughout his life until he became a man. And when he was mature enough to be the man, he was no longer in need of the guardian. Now, Paul is using the Scripture in this sense, that the Word of God under the Old Testament, the law that was given by God, is our guardian, it's our tutor, to tell us what we should do, what is right and what is wrong and what we shouldn't do. And it's to go with us everywhere when a decision needs to be made. We can look at the law of God that's given, and it teaches us how we should respond. But when you mature in Christ... There's no longer a need for that moral law because you now have it adopted into your lifestyle. And so Paul tells us you no longer need the law of the old covenant because Christ has come and our faith in Christ and our obedience to Christ and His commands now teaches us rather than the old covenant. It's important for us to know that Jesus now is the one who we follow. So those are the three things, reasons, I think, that we've been given the the Ten Commandments. So let's look at each one of those commandments just briefly. The first commandments they were given, we, we understand that Jesus summarizes the Ten Commandments into two. And He tells us that in Mark chapter 12, verses 29 through 31. He was asked, which is the most important commandment? He says it's this. The most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So Jesus is taking these Ten Commandments out of the 613 and He begins to summarize them down into two. Now, these two commandments that Jesus gives us, they break down the Ten Commandments into two parts. The first four commandments that are given, those in our relationship with God. And the last six are about our relationship with one another. So let's begin with the first commandment. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. I mean, that instruction makes it clear that God is the one true God, and He's the only one that we're supposed to worship. In ancient times, the law steered the people away from all the false gods that were being worshipped around the neighbors, uh, neighboring communities and countries. 
You see, those countries would do just like Israel did. They would take their gold and they would form something into a golden calf or some other image or idol that they wanted to worship, and they would worship them. And in some of those countries, they had multiple gods. But here we're told there is one God, and you worship only Him. The second commandment ties right along with that. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. In other words, if I'm the only God, then you all don't need to make an image of any other God. You don't even make an image of me. Don't craft or create anything and there's something about us. We like to have things that we can see and touch and taste and smell, don't we? we? We follow things by our senses, and we want to have something that's right there. But God says, don't even create an image of anything that's in heaven, even if it's me. And don't create an image of anything that you see naturally on this earth or anything that's under the earth in the water. Don't make any graven images so the third commandment follows as well. In verse 7, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now this third commandment is about being disrespectful to God. Well, OMG about that. You hear that all the time, don't you? I mean, every time I look at anything out there on Facebook, somebody during that day is going to type OMG. Well, what does that mean? OMG? Oh, my goodness? Oh, my gracious? No, it means, oh, my God. Why are we using that? Why do we throw his name out so carelessly? It's a very sign of disrespect when we use his name in vain. He's telling us. I remember meeting a fellow back when I was in seminary. He lived in Chicago, grew up on the streets of the south side. And, and, and he, as he grew up, he understood that there was a word that was used out there by God and Jesus. But he did not know them as the creator of the universe and his son who came in to redeem his soul. All he knew that those words were were cuss words like any other cuss word out there. And so he grew up just using the name of God and Jesus as a swear word, and that's all the meaning it had to it, until one day he found out different. We live in a society today that just throws God around very easily, don't we? It's because we disrespect Him. And God says, do not use my name in that fashion. The fourth commandment is this, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Scripture is clear that we are to observe a Sabbath as God's day, a day we give Him for rest and for an assembly of time to worship Him. Under the Old Testament laws, they would take the Saturday as a day that they did nothing but rest, a day in which they would spend time and worship God as they would assemble together for that purpose. We get into the Old Testament and we see Jesus is using all these Ten Commandments and He reiterates every one of them, but this one He doesn't just make it stick like all the others. He wants them to understand that the man was not made for the Sabbath, nor was, but the Sabbath was made for man. 
And there were things that he did on the Sabbath and his disciples did on the Sabbath which kind of broke custom and broke the law of the Sabbath. But yet he wants us to take that day and give a day of honor to who God is. So we see the church in the book of Acts beginning to gather together and they chose to take Sunday, the first day of the week, a day that will remind them of the resurrection of Jesus when He came back to life. And they would use that day as a day set apart for worship, a day when they would assemble together, they would recognize and they would take rest upon that day and give that day to Christ under a new relationship. The fifth commandment begins the relationship with others. He says there in verse 12 of Exodus 20, Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now, now it's interesting about this word. He uses the word honor. Now, sometimes don't we like to hear the word obey? Obey your mom and dad? Obey your father and mother? There's a difference in this passage. With the word honor, it carries with it more than obedience. You see, if I just obey my parents... I don't have to honor them. I don't have to respect them. I can obey them for fear that I might get punished. All right? So I don't do the things that they tell me not to do, and I do the things that they tell me to do. That way I'm obedient to them, but I don't like them very much, and so I'm not going to treat them outside of that very well. That's not what he's saying. He's not talking about obeying, obeying your parents, being obedient to them. He wants us to honor them. And honoring them goes more than just obedience. It goes in the development of your own moral life and the character of who you are so that when other people see you and your godliness and your character, they think, my, what wonderful parents you've had. And you bring honor upon them by the lifestyle that you live. Matter of fact, this promise comes with this commandment. It's the only of the Ten Commandments that has a promise with it. If you honor your mother, what's going to happen? Your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You're going to have a long life. This could be a blessing. And we receive this blessing, this promise that God gives us when we honor our father and mother, whether we think they need to be honored or not. It goes beyond just obedience. The sixth commandment in verse 13 you shall not murder. Now that word murder is the operative word here. It's not the same word that's used for kill. You see, sometimes as a society we have to kill in order to preserve and protect. You can't be a Christian soldier then, could you? Because if, you have to, if murder and killing are the same thing. But sometimes a nation is moved to have to take a life to protect and to benefit the whole. And God understands that. Murder is not that. Murder is not just taking a life and killing a life. Because a nation, God tells us that the nation carries the sword for a reason. But murder goes beyond just doing that kind of duty. Murder is taking the life because of somebody that you don't care for. Somebody who is in your way. Somebody who has something that you want. Murder is done based upon the hatred and the, and the self-benefit that we take somebody else's life. He says, don't do that. 
And then he tells us in verse, the seventh commandment in verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. Now you go back to Adam and Eve and you, you notice that there is this special relationship between a husband and a wife that God has created. And God is the one who, who ordained it. He is the one who's blessed it. And he tells us that we should not separate this relationship. And, and adultery is one in which that takes place. Jesus himself restates that, that fact about the relationship between a husband and wife as being something that is so unique and so powerful that we've got to be cautious about it. And so listen what he says in Mark chapter 10, verse 7 through 9. Jesus even says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And adultery does that. It breaks the covenant and the relationship between a husband and wife. And it adds a third person into the union where there's only supposed to be two that become one. And our society has a problem with this. And so we're going to avoid adultery so we just won't get married. Right? That's not what he says. When the two become one, when they're unified because of the intimacy of that relationship, you, you create this oneness. And you can't keep doing it with other people. Paul really specifically spells that out. You can't continue to unite yourself with others over and over again and create this oneness. It is designed specifically in this relationship. The Eighth Commandment says this, you shall not steal. At least that's what Frankie said, right? It's a prohibition against taking something that is not rightfully yours. I mean, the purpose behind this commandment is not to protect your things, but it's to protect society. Because when those things like theft goes unpunished, then those who have begin to resort to any means to keep what they have, no matter how violent it might be, to protect their things. And so you have to punish those who take the things that don't belong to them before it gets so severe that others might then murder because you've taken. There is the ninth commandment. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. To give a false testimony against a neighbor is knowingly lying about them. And, and in particular, we have a problem when it gets into court system because we're testifying about something. And even the American court system, in its immorality as an America has grown into being, still feels that it's important that you tell the truth under oath in court. They're not so concerned about telling the truth outside of court. But they look very poorly upon those who lie in our court system. And they hold them accountable to that through perjury. And finally, the 10th commandment is this in verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. This commandment calls for something that is deeper than just the act itself. It gets down into the very heart of who we are and to our thought processes. 
When Jesus begins to reiterate some of these commandments, well, you've heard you should not do this and you should not do that. But I tell you, a man who thinks lustful thoughts about a woman has committed adultery with her in his heart already. This idea of covenant of covet stems from our longings, our desires, our heart motivation. And when we see things that do not belong to us but belong to somebody else and we covet it, we want that. We want that so bad that we want to take it away from them. We want to remove them somehow from the situation that we can have it, whether it be their house or their wife or their children or their business or whatever it might be. When the evil desires well up within us, sin is born. Now, this particular commandment stands out because it deals with taking control of our inappropriate feelings. Now, Jesus pointed out for us in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, that it gets down to the very heart of the matter. He said, the good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of the evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. You may be able to avoid all the other nine commandments from breaking them. But Jesus points out, we're probably going to fail right here. And we're told that if we break one of the commandments, we're guilty of them all. We have missed the mark. So I believe that God gave the Ten Commandments to the people of the Old Testament despite this. And because sin continues to exist in the world today, these commandments are important that we live by them. We don't just push them aside. The Ten Commandments serve not only as a moral code for today's Christian, but also as a stark reminder that we still need a Savior because we're going to break them. We're sinful people. And they, they serve then not only how we should live, but also why we should live this way. Jesus Himself identified the main thread that goes throughout the the Ten Commandments, and throughout the rest of the law, as a matter of fact. And he summarized that there in Matthew chapter 22. And he says it's really this. In one single word, keeping all the commandments is this, love. If you love God and you love people, you won't break them. That's what it comes down to. And Paul expanded upon this, this theme of love when he wrote the, that the commandments that were against adultery and stealing and murder and coveting are all summed up in this, this word love. And so Romans 13, verse 8 through 10, Paul tells us, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you, not, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. 
The fact that love binds these Ten Commandments together is no surprise when you consider that God loves His creation enough that He would put these commandments together for us. As we begin this new year, 2021, and we want to bury the past behind us, I think the first thing that we need to understand is that we need to love. We need to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. And we need to love one another. Do we need Ten Commandments? I think we do. I think that this world needs to understand that morality is important. Morality is not defined by what feels good for me. Morality is defined by the one who is holy and above all righteous, and that's God. And He has determined for us how we should live as a community and as individuals. And it's all summarized in that one word, love. Let's begin this year learning how to love one another. And in doing so, we demonstrate how much we really love God. We're going to have an invitation for you. Maybe you need to make a decision. A lot of people are making New Year's Eve resolutions, you know, and they do that every year. And then they break them by January 3rd. But I want to challenge you. This year, this year, make love the priority. God has already made it a priority because He loves you that much. Let's stand together.